we're going to have chairs outdoors, but if you want to bring like your favorite lounge chair or whatever, and then hopefully you'll get tired and go to sleep with your mouth open and we can drop little little pieces of paper and play basketball. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's funny about computers and all this because, you know, I teach from an iPad and um, I normally, before I leave the house, I download my message to my iPad. I forgot to do it this morning. And um, so I realized as I opened it just a second ago, oh, I forgot to download. So, I mean, there's an internet connection here, as most of you know. And so it's spinning, spinning. I'm like, oh, okay, we jumped in. We're there. All right. Because, I mean, but this is a good passage, and I, I think I would do it justice if I didn't have notes. Um, this is an important passage, um, and it's, it's packed. I mean, it's what, what John is really saying here, if you really take into consideration what it is he is saying, uh, there's an incredible amount of doctrine in here, and I think it's important to, uh, to look at this. Matter of fact, I was planning on teaching part of this last week, and, and in talking about the big A Antichrist and the little A Antichrist, plural, uh, I knew I w- we wouldn't have enough time for that. And I don't, I don't even know if we have enough time this morning, but if we have to go into a third Sunday, we will. I do want to back up all the way to verse 18 for context of First John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Because this is all, this is all connected. Um, it is really actually, well, one main thought with really actually more than one theme, and it goes off in very various different directions. Verse eighteen of its second, excuse me, First John chapter two. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. This is where I'm going to pick up this morning. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. And I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist. Notice this is a lowercase a. Who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges, now that word acknowledge could also, and I think in some of your translation has the word confess, which is probably a better word. Um, Don't ask me why they went with acknowledge, but this word also could be translated confess. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the Son of God, God the Son. And we pray, Lord, that you would just, just help us to, to grab a hold of this. Lord, I pray that even in this passage that you would help me uh, focus on the things that you desire 
uh, to speak to each of us this morning. So fill us with your spirit to hear from you. Fill me with your spirit that you might speak through me. We thank you for this wonderful passage. And we pray that, that your spirit would engage with us as we engage with your written word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, there's so much here, this, it's almost like, where do you start? But it, 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 he, he talks about this idea of an anointing from the Holy One. And because you have an anointing, you know all things. And, and in verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who was a liar? Well, he, he doesn't pull punches here, does he? Who was a liar? but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. We'll stop there. That's just, I think that's a good introduction because it's important to understand who is he writing this, who is John writing this, this letter to? Christians. Probably in Ephesus, by the way. But he's writing this to Christians. And, and so it, it is a, Essentially, an in-house letter. Uh, that's why he says, "I have written to you because you do. Uh, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and no lies of the truth." Now, I, I think that really sets the stage to what G, uh, John is saying here, because he talks about this: who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Now, who is? What does it mean by the Christ? You all know this: the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah actually the Messiah of the world, but within the context also you could use a Jewish Messiah, but also the only Messiah. The context uh, also could be the Messiah of the world. Um, You know the truth. Well, what truth? Because in verses like this, you can isolate them. And this is the problem with verse-by-verse study, all right? I, I, I'm big on it, and, and it's, my, it's what I prefer, but it also can be a problem at times because we can get so wrapped up into looking at the tree that we forget the tree is sitting in a forest and that the tree is influenced by the forest around it, okay? And so it, 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 there's more of a wholeness that I think that we need to approach the Bible from times uh, uh, rather than just trying to look at verses. And, and people, do, cults do this, by the way. They, they, if you've ever had them come knock at your door, what do they do? They want to play musical Bible verses. And they never really want to address the, the verse that they, they're trying to use to convince you that they are right and you were wrong. They never really want to use those verses uh, in their context or even in the fullness of the biblical record because the best way that we interpret Scripture is through comparing it to other Scripture. The best way that we would interpret, and I've said this a few times to you already, the best way that we could interpret the letter of John is through the Gospel of John. We, write, we interpret this through the Gospel of John. And, and, and John never isolates his writing. Now, he may not go into a full treatise here of the person of Jesus Christ. Obviously, there wasn't enough time. But who is he writing to? Believers who have believed in Jesus Christ. And, and John actually says at the end of his gospel, um, John chapter 20, verse 31, I'll read it to you. It says, but these things 
are written. He's referring to the Gospel of John. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Okay, John was there at Caesarea Philippi, Matthew chapter 16, when, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And of course the answers were some people believe that you're John the Baptist, some people believe that you're the Messiah, some people believe that you're, you know, different things. And then Jesus zeroes in and he asks his disciples, well, who do you believe that I am? Right around verse 19 of chapter 16 of the book of Matthew. And Peter steps up, one of his finest moments, then he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus' response was, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Now, these guys have been traveling around with Jesus for a period of time now. And, and so they, they had gotten to know him. They were with him day in and day out. But what Jesus is saying is that being with me in the flesh was not a revelation to you, but my Father has revealed this to you. And so it was a spiritual revelation that Peter had. John, I believe, was a witness to. But John also recognized that Jesus is the Christ. Yeah, and so the whole of the Gospel of John speaks actually to this verse here in verse 22 when it says, who is a liar? But he who denies, that word denies is in the present uh, tense in the Greek, which means it is a continuing action, an action that is never completed. Someone who denies that Jesus is the Christ or that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? And, and that's, that's the point that we need to zero in on as we look at this verse. Because someone could walk away after reading this and say, well, yeah, Jesus is, is the Messiah, but he's not God, which is heresy. Or as this particular letter was written to address, it was a, a, a heresy by a guy named Serinthius. Um. Serinthius believed that, that Jesus was born as a human, but he was not divine. But at the time of the baptism, the Christ consciousness, see this is really actually nothing really, this is ancient, but this, this is a view that kind of pervades even today. The Christ consciousness came upon Jesus at the baptism, but right before the um, crucifixion, guess what happened? Christ consciousness said, I'm out of here. There's, there's a lot wrong with that doctrine. First of all, the, the whole idea of what the Old Testament established where the Lamb of God would have to be without blemish and without spot. And there is this thing in humanity called original sin that David addressed, he said, even, even in, 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 in sin, my mother, what, conceived me. Which is interpreted very different ways, but I think it's a reference toward original sin. That, that as humanity, we come out of the womb flawed. And so we do not qualify as the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that is without blemish and without spot. 
So that's why Jesus comes, God in the flesh, who is perfect, taking on an additional nature so that he could be the sacrifice for us and therefore give us an anointing from the Holy One. This word anointing is interesting because it's actually, uh, in various groups, it's used a lot. If you've been around different groups of the church, the the anointed ones. Oh, he's anointed, right? Well, the reality is if we're all born again in the Spirit, then we are all anointed. Because I believe it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, it's an anointing from the Holy One, which I will get into in a minute. But this anointing, I believe, is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to know all things, right? John tells us that he will, he will lead us into all truth. That he will speak of what he has heard, not only from the Father, but also from Jesus. That he convicts the world of righteousness, uh, sin, uh, uh, righteousness and judgment. And, and so it is the anointing, the work of the Holy Spirit. And this word anointing is a very full word because it really goes back to the idea of pouring oil over the priest, pouring oil over the prophets, but also pouring oil over the kings as their, their, uh, when they were uh, coronated or set aside uh, for the ministry by which they had been called to do. And I'm actually, when I was, when I was ordained, I'm glad that they just laid hands on me instead of pouring oil on me. But anyway, um, but that was how it was, it was done, the oil being a representation of whom? The Holy Spirit. So what was done to them physically was also done to them spiritually. And the physical work was basically an outward expression of what was happening inwardly in their souls. So uh, you have this anointing from the Holy One. Now who's the Holy One? Any guesses? I don't know either, so let's just skip that. But no. I thought this was a fascinating name that John used here. He actually uses it also. Now, if you have a new King James or a King James, it, it, it uses a different manuscript, but the ESV, the Christian Standard Bible, I believe the NIV and the NASB, and I believe the New Revised Version, also have in the book of John chapter 6, verse 69, when they confess that Jesus is the Holy One. Now, the New, the new King James and the King James will say that I confess that you are the Son of God. Um, take your pick. Uh, most people who delve into these things would say that the, the, uh, the, that the other manuscripts, because they, are actually, they were discovered later, but they are actually older. Does that make sense? Discovered later, but they were actually older, actually better manuscripts. And incidentally, when they discover manuscripts, they don't normally have a full uh, uh, collection of the entire Bible in one place. They, they're grabbing at fragments all over the place. And, and translation science and, and the formation of manuscripts is a very involved science. There, it's also an art, but mainly it's a science, and there's a lot to it. But, but John when he recorded this in John chapter 6, and I, I, I go toward the ESV on this one, um, they confess that Jesus is the Holy One. Now, who's the Holy One? Well, it's used 57 times in the entire Bible. 51 of those times, it is used to refer to God. 
in, in the, uh, excuse me, actually, let me do the math here real fast. 45 of those times in the Old Testament, it refers to God. Sometimes you have the title, the Holy One of Israel. Sometimes you just have the title, the Holy One. But I went through and counted them, okay? So it took me a bit, but I went through and I counted them. No, I used the program. I didn't, I didn't turn the pages, all right? But anyway, I went through and counted them, and the phrase, the Holy One, refers to God 45 times in the Old Testament. Six of those times, it refers, it is mentioned in, excuse me, six additional times. So a total of 51, that's where I get the number 45 plus 6 is 51. Six of those times it is used in the New Testament. And each of those times in the New Testament, who is it referred to? Jesus. So you have a title for God the Father, deity, used 45 times in the Old Testament that is also used six times in the New Testament, here in John, 1 John chapter 2, this is one of the times. You have the same title that is used for, for, for Jesus because it is recognizing, the use of this t- title is recognizing that Jesus is God. It, it's not a direct, it's not a direct um, declaration of his deity. But if you read carefully through the Gospels, Jesus never directly declared that he was the Messiah. Now, he was. Other people recognized him as the Messiah. What was his favorite title, by the way, for himself? Just kind of a side note. Thank you. The Son of Man is out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where you have this, this figure that is obviously, and it's been interpreted by, by the Jews of even in the first century, there was an understanding that, that that was a messianic figure that preexisted. Now, first century Judaism, they're still trying to put the pieces together, okay? They're, 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 because in, 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 in the Jewish culture, it was basically all about following the laws. And, and you follow the Ten Commandments and actually then the other uh, over 600 commandments that were given in Torah. But what happened with the Jews is they, they smacked dab into what? The Greek world. And they were Hellenized. They became Hellenist, many of them. They were introduced more to this idea of reasoning. And so not only did they want to follow the laws, but then they started thinking through reasoning, trying to understand a little bit more about who God was. And if you've read ancient, and this is where you get some of your Jewish mysticism from, if you've read some of your ancient Jewish texts, which maybe you want to, maybe you don't. But there, there's a lot of speculation. I think that, that's where you ended up with the, with the saying, and I can, I'm part Jewish so I can say this, but you end up with the saying that if you put 10 Jews in a room, you end up with 12 different opinions, right? Because there was a lot of speculation going on and a lot of thinking about who are you? And what have you declared? I mean, we even saw this on, on uh, Wednesday night. We, we looked in Isaiah chapter 63 where it's a reference to whom? The Holy Spirit here in the Old Testament. And, and so they were starting to piece together this idea that the Messiah who would be the Son of God was obviously someone who was pre-existing. 
They didn't have all the pieces put together. But, but they understood. And there were bits and pieces that they understood that, that this idea of the Messiah was something more than just a mere human. That is why at the trial of Jesus in, in um, Matthew, I must have cut it out of my, Matthew 23. Um, no, it's not Matthew 23. Matthew 26. I'm trying to find it in my notes, but I'm already lost. But uh, in, in uh, Matthew 26, where the high priest says to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God, are you the Christ, the Messiah? And Jesus' response in Matthew was, you have said it, which is an affirmative response because what happened? They said, well, what further do we need of witnesses? We, we, you know, uh, we have seen with him, excuse me, I'm going to turn there. I'm going to find, I I don't want to, I don't want to boss this up. This is an important point. Okay, Matthew 26, verse 63. Okay, 62. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. Because he was talking about destroying the temple. They were accusing him of actually wanting to destroy the temple and in three days rebuild it, right? Jesus kept silent, verse 63. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ the Son of God. Not only just the Christ, but the Son of God. I knew I left something out there. That's why I wanted to turn here. Tell us that you are the Christ, that you are the Son of God. Now Jesus said to him, it is as you, uh, it is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Okay, who is he referring to? He's referring back to that figure in Daniel chapter 7 that I just referred to. Read the entire chapter of Daniel 7. You'll, you'll catch the gist of this. Where they bring this one like the Son of Man, they bring him before the Ancient of Days, which is a reference to the Father, and he's actually seated. Jesus said, It doesn't say in Daniel, but Jesus says here that he will be seated at the right hand of the Father. What he's saying is he's equal with God. He's claiming divinity here. And the Jews understand this. Because he says, the high priest tore his clothes, which, by the way, according to Torah, he was not supposed to do that. But I'll, I'll, that's, that's, that's for later. The high priest tore his clothes, and, and, that, and he said, uh, he says, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, he is deserving of death. Why? Because he had, in their mind, he had blasphemed by asserting that he was God. See, the Jews during that time understood the Messiah would be the Son of Man. And, that, and it's, it, now, it wasn't always a prevalent, across-the-board theological thought, okay? There were bits and pieces and different ideas even in Judaism at that time. But there was this understanding that the Messiah would be the Son of God who was this person who existed outside of time. And they didn't think that Jesus was that person. But Jesus here is claiming 
to be the Daniel 7 figure, but he's also claiming to be the Psalm 110 figure who, where he sits down at the right hand of God. Psalm 110, verses 1. Also the Psalm 2 figure where, where the, the father says to the son, today I have begotten you, sit and I will, uh, I will um, sit and I will, make, use, I will make the world your footstool. And, and so there were the, these passages again that refer to this idea of the Christ being an otherworldly figure. And again, and I haven't even delved into John yet. I got some time. Good. Um, because we base what John is talking about here in 1 John based on what John has already recorded in the Gospel of John, correct? Now, I told you already the purpose of the Gospel of John was that in, in John 20, verse 31 again, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Well, then, again, I'll go back to the question that I've already answered. But I'll answer it again according to what John has written. Who is this Jesus? Who is the Christ? Well, John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word in the Greek is the word logos. That's a reference to Jesus. How do we know that? Because if you skip down to John chapter 1, verse 14, it says the word became what? Flesh. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. It's a reference to Jesus. John chapter 1, it refers to Jesus uh, being God. John chapter 1, 18, it talks about that he, Jesus, the only God who was in the bosom of the Father. He's the only God who was in the bosom of the Father. And then in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse 18. Actually, let's back up a few verses just for context. John chapter 5, verse 16. This is after the healing of the, of, of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Because verse 16 starts for this reason. If you want to know what reason they're talking about, I would suggest you read verses 1 through 15. We don't have time to look at it yet this morning. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them saying, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because not only had he broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Do you see the understanding that the Jews had when Jesus claimed to be 
that unique son of God. They were understanding that, that this phrase, I am the son of God, was, or the fact that he referred to, to the father as his father. It was a, a declaration of a unique relationship that God the son has with God the father. And they understood that in making these statements, he was making himself out equal with God, which was blasphemy and they wanted to kill him. That makes sense? It doesn't make sense, I'll repeat it, or I'll, whatever. I mean, this is important stuff. The Jews understood what Jesus was talking about when he referred to God as his, as his unique father. Then John chapter 10. Right around verse 30. He's talking about being the good shepherd. And right around verse 29, he keeps using that my father phrase that irritates him. Where it says, my father who has given them, referring to his sheep, referring to us, is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Thank God for that. And then he goes on and he says, I and my father are one. And the Jews received it, didn't they? It says that in verse 31, they took up stones again to stone him. Notice again. They took up stones again to stone him. And this time Jesus confronts them and he says to them, uh, um, many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? Why are you going to stone me? I've done some good works. Name the one that you're going to stone me for. Where am I guilty here? That's what he's asking. The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you. But for, a, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. See, the I am statement, I and my father are one, actually. That I and my father are one, that was himself being equal with God. He was declaring his divinity to them. They got it. They understood it. Again, that was ingrained in, in their writings. They were, they were, they were in, a, in a place where they were starting to process this idea of who the Messiah was. They understood it. One more, since we're in the book of John. Actually, there's another one, but I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to take the time to look at it this morning. But in John 14, in verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, verse 7, you would have known my Father also, and from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him in verse 8, 
Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. You know, they call Doubting Thomas, Doubting Thomas. I think sometimes I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, we probably called, should have called Philip, Confused Philip. But that's neither here nor there. Jesus says to them, How have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me and does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And we actually really could go on. But, but you have what Jesus is describing here in John 14, the fact that he is in the Father. Now, there is also a distinction, correct? Do you see? I see a distinction there. But... He is also declaring that he is in the Father. This, this sense, this, this unity with him. He's, he, and it's a veiled, but nonetheless, it is a declaration again of his, of his deity. So these are the things I believe is what John was referring to when he says, who was a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Because to declare that Jesus is the Messiah, you have to have a little bit of an understanding of what that really means and about Jesus. You have to be able to grasp these things. And again, flesh and blood do not reveal them to us. But it is the anointing from the Holy One, another title of deity, by which we know all things. So, do you see how tightly packaged this is? And again, one commentator referred to this, this idea of, of uh, where it says that Jesus is the Christ. It's almost a shorthand for a, de- a declaration of who he is that we see written out over 20 chapters in the Gospel of John. Again, we cannot take this verse and isolate it in and of itself and attach our own meaning to it. We have to take it within the greater context of Scripture, but also within the context of their biblical understanding of the time, which we see in John chapter 5, which we see in in, uh, Matthew 26, which we see in John 10. This understanding that, that they knew that Jesus was declaring himself as God. With the Father, but also with distinction. And that's where, where this idea of, uh, of, the, of the Trinity can trip people up. Because we can't completely, totally apprehend it. But we know that there is that declaration that's given to us in the scripture. I've just showed you some of the passages uh, not only, again, the usage of the name Holy One, you didn't, you didn't refer to just anyone as the Holy One. And again, the title was used a few times in the Old Testament referring to the prophets in their special calling. But most of the time, 45 times to be exact, it's reserved for God the Father. It's a title for Yahweh. Six times, it's a title for Yahweh. 
uh, that we see in the person of Jesus Christ. Whoever denies the Son, verse 23, does not have the Father either. I've already read to you John chapter 14, where, where, uh, where it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for by me. No one. One name written in heaven, given among men, whereby men must be saved. All of us, all of us come to God the Father through the work of the Messiah who goes to the cross and dies on the cross for each of our sins. Verse 23, it it also affirms this unity and this identity with God the Father and God the Son, but it also affirms their distinctiveness. So who denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. He who acknowledges or confesses the Son. This word confess, and I don't know why it's translated acknowledge, um, I think the ESV actually translates it, confess. Um, it, it means to speak the same thing that another does. This is the word homo legio. Homo in the Greek means one. Legio uh, is derived from legon, which is derived from legos, So it's word. So essentially this word means one word. Okay. So you're speaking the same thing um, that another does. You're agreeing with that person. So he who acknowledges the son. And again, it's, it's one thing to acknowledge the son, but this is written within the context of all the doctrinal and theological groundwork that John has already established in his gospel, correct? Remember, this is just a letter. And if I write, well, email. We don't write letters, right? I don't remember the last time I actually took out a piece of paper and a pen. I, I send emails all the time. But when I send emails... When I refer to something, or when you send emails, maybe you do, maybe so if you do, then my point is moot. But anyway, but when you send out an email and you refer to something, do you always give the full background information to it? No. Remember, this is a little bit different type of genre that we are reading. It's a letter, whereas the gospel of John is, is a gospel. It's more of a, of a narrative type of writing. So therefore, because it is a narrative type of writing, it will be much broader, and it really becomes the source document by which we interpret the letter. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. I hope it makes sense. It makes sense to me anyway. I think it makes sense to you. So if we say the same thing about the Son, we have the Father also. And again, back to John, and I'll close with this. Back to in, in John 5 again. Uh, the false teachers were accusing 
Jesus of claiming to be that unique son of God. It, and I'll, I'll go back and read it for you real fast because I want, I don't, there's a word here that I want to define for you and I want to make sure I get the right one. Um, verse, J- John chapter 5 verse 18 where it says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath but he also said that God was his father. All right? Said God was his father. All right? Well, is God your father? Is God your father? I hope God's your father. Okay. So what, what was so wrong with that? What was the issue with that? The issue in that is his choice of words that he used when he said his. It is the Greek word ideos or ideos, which means one's own private, personal, unique possession. So when I, bad example, but I'll use it, okay? If you said Mike was talking about his guitar, okay, it, we could use this particular Greek word because it's my own private, personal, unique possession. It's mine. No, anyway. Uh, but, but that's what Jesus was using. That was what he was claiming when he referred to the Father at his one unique, personal, private Father. He's, he's identifying and, and defining and describing this unique position, this unique relationship that he and he alone has with God the Father. That's why Later in the book of, I believe it's John, when he appears to Mary Magdalene after he's resurrected, remember what he said to her? I need to go to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. He's making a distinction between the relationships. And he can make that distinction because he's divine. One translation of this last verse in 23 in the Greek, of the English transliteration of the Greek, it says, the one who confesses the Son, also the Father he is having. The one who confesses the Son, also the Father he is having. Again, fulfilling what Jesus declared to us in John 14, 6, when he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except for through him. Because of his private, personal, unique relationship that he and he alone has with God the Father so that he was able to do the work of atonement to fulfill the messianic promises that really, if you, if you read the messianic promises in the Old Testament, they're really a description uh, of what God and God alone can do. And then you read the Gospels and you realize Jesus is fulfilling those, those prophecies that God and God alone can do. Because he is God. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. This idea of denying is this perpetual, present tense, never completing, but this ongoing action where they deny who Jesus is. He does not have the Father either. 
I didn't say it. John said it. The Holy Spirit said it. We have to wrestle with it. Not only to personalize it, to make it a part of our own belief, but also to be able to share this. And hopefully with these things that I put out for you that you're able to go back to the, old, the New Testament, particularly the Gospel of John, and say, yes, this was the context by which John wrote this particular letter. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great faithfulness. We thank you that, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for each of us. That he, as John the Baptist declared, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we thank you for the fact that you have taken away our sins. We do pray for the world. And we, Lord, we'd ask that you would open up their eyes, that you would grant them repentance, that they would recognize and see you for who you are. And that you would take away their sin also. Lord, help us to have the name of Jesus on our minds, on our hearts, that will be manifest in the things we say and the things that we do. And we pray these things for your great name's sake. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you guys.